0: Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your writing journey, Writer on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show, as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone, and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the writing journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves, do you have a story to tell? And it's Welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today I have this most amazing man with me that I'm a little bit in awe of, more in awe of now than when I came up with the idea of interviewing him and he's rolling his eyes already. Um, I'd like to welcome the most wonderful Tony Lloyd to Writer on the Road. Hi Tony.
1: Hi, it's good to be here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, now I know Tony through the podcasting world, but he's just released a book that I've spent most of the night flicking through and reading rather than sleeping. Uh, Tony, I've got you on here because of your book, but would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself before we start?
1: Sure. Uh so I was a Fortune five hundred executive. I worked for uh several global brands. Uh, I ran uh talent management, leadership development for some large organizations. Uh and about uh three years ago now, I um, I walked away from my corporate career and started asking some really hard questions <laughs> that I just couldn't quite get the answer to. And you know, like like a lot of people, um I, I think best by writing. So I think uh, that's that's part of where this book came from. It was just my quest to be able to answer questions that I had.
0: Yeah, and the book is called, everyone, Crazy Good Advice, and I know that the hard questions that Tony asked are probably questions that a lot of us ask from time to time and especially the older we get. Um, can I ask you to go into those questions a little bit uh, more for me, please, Tony? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, some of the questions that drove me out of the corporate life and into this quest, one of them was about, um, you know, when, when we as business leaders, I often talked at, about sustainable, profitable growth, right? And, um, and one of the things that's so important about all that is we're trying to please shareholders, and uh you know and shareholders are incredibly important and there are some legal fiduciary reasons why we focus on shareholders but then the question is if we really focus solely on shareholders to the exclusion exclusion of other important stakeholders is that really a sustainable business and so i i went out looking for businesses that Focus not just on shareholder value, but then their communities, the planet, their employees, their customers, regulators, all these other stakeholders that are so important. And I ran into these people who were called social entrepreneurs. And so social entrepreneurs are people who use the power of business – to do social good. And, you know, there's some, some new legal forms that are around the world, social enterprises, social entrepreneurs, and, and different things of benefit corporations that uh, allow people to have legal protections while still pursuing a social goal. So that, that became the subject of, uh, of the writing.
0: And that's where we come in, everybody. That's where it gets really exciting. And the first thing that interested me was your why – Um, why we're doing what we're doing, why we are engaged in this gig that quite often doesn't make us a lot of money, but we throw 16 hours a day at it. Uh, Tony, you you align with us more than than I realised when I started um, researching about what you did. Uh, I noticed you had some wonderful, wonderful women on your podcast and I want to go straight to them about some of the things that they've been achieving lately. Now, I'm frantically going through Facebook here, but I think it would be quicker just to go to you. Tony? Tell us about some of those women and what they're doing out there.
1: You know, um, one of the people that I profiled in the first uh, episode is a woman named Gayatria Datar, And Gayatria was an American-born student, but her parents, grandparents were of uh, Indian descent. And so, um, you know, a date that will probably be familiar to a lot of your listeners was uh, December the 26th of 2004. And the reason that was important is, you know, it was Boxing Day, but it was the day of a massive tsunami. And uh, and, or do I have the year wrong? Maybe. I don't know. But uh, Gayatriya was in India visiting her grandparents when the tsunami struck and she went down to the beach to see what she could do to help and on that day 230,000 people died and uh, gayatri was you know i mean she came from a life of privilege she was a student at harvard you know and now suddenly she's standing you know knee deep in garbage and, and and dead humans on a uh, on a beach and it really sort of transformed the direction of her life Uh, She went back to university, she uh, changed her degree of study, and she ended up uh, working towards um, a a social cause. So she, she was getting a dual degree then from Stanford and Harvard. By the way, Being overly ambitious seems to be a key character trait of a lot of these folks, you know, like trying to do everything in the world. So she was getting a dual degree from them. One of the courses she took was called Design for Extreme Affordability. And in order to really gain empathy for her end users, she went to Rwanda. She lived in a hut with A man, his wife, and their nine children, they had a dirt floor. She slept on a grass straw uh, bed, and her legs became just covered in insect bites. You know, she got sick while she was there. She went through all the stuff. But the reason she did that was to really gain empathy for the end user. What is their life really, really like? And that's another key thing is that sort of sense of, of empathy for the needs of the end users, uh, and as a result, when she came home, she ended up creating this company called Earth Enable and what they do is they create uh earthen floors, so it's a sealed floor in uh Rwanda. And not only do they have this technology, they have this ability to create these floors and, it, and you know, it reduces diarrhea by 49%. It reduces—it uh, it improves uh, um, productivities of workers. It uh, improves studies for kids because kids are no longer sick. They can go to school. So um, so there are all these impacts, but it's a for-profit business, and they train local people how to do this. So they're sort of using a franchise model model that enables other people to be able to create these floors. And so, you know, it's just been this fantastic journey from this sort of moment of clarity for her, uh, where she saw my life has to mean more than what I have had it meaning so far, to then how do I go about not just creating a charity and giving money, but how do I create a business That has a profit that allows it to be sustained, but it also has a social impact over time. So that was, you know, that's one example. And I could go on and on. There are hundreds of of examples uh, of people that I've spoken with.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we will make sure that you can subscribe to Tony's podcast because I'm sure by the end of this we're all going to be wanting to to go over and listen to you. Uh, now that brings us to a couple of things and I'm not sure which direction to go. I think I'll start with how your podcast has been picked up and this is, again, serendipity and, and putting yourself out there and I think you've got this wonderful quote about miracles happen while you're in motion, which I've actually now got pinned across my, my forehead. Uh, you were <laughs> at the theatre with your wife and you um, made Managed to make a connection, which you didn't realize at the time, but now you're in prime time radio, uh, getting this social entrepreneur message out that, that must be so rewarding.
1: It is. It's pretty amazing. And would you, would you like me to kind of tell that story? Is that what you're hoping? Oh, I've I've
0: read it in the book, everybody. You can buy the book, (laughs) um, but it is a fascinating story and the results of being in the right place at the right time, but you had to, you had to be already on the journey to make this happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we um, my my wife and I went to the theater uh, and it was one of these kind of, you know, uh, you know, when you when you think of going to the theater, right, you might think of this, you know, big, wonderful velvet draped, uh, you know, theater. This was one of those kind of experimental theaters. It's in the basement of this building of this uh, old building. Uh, you know, it was a theater in the round. There's probably 50 or so people watching this play. And the play is just, you know, uh, th- these people had sort of. They had written it by workshopping it by um, you know by getting in the back and doing improv again and again and again until they finally came up with the, the storyline and all the all the parts uh, so it was a really interesting night anyway, but the two women sitting behind us, one of them started talking about, you know, uh, well, you know, we, we have a show and we think of it as sort of like Prairie Home Companion, which is a, you know, American radio broadcast show, but, uh, but it's more modern. And so my wife is listening to this. My wife is an artist. And so she's really interested in what this is about. So she just turned around as is her want and just introduced herself, right? You know, she's hi, I'm Lynn. What are you talking about? And so, uh, so they had this great conversation. And at the end, Uh, We exchange business cards. It turns out that one of the women there, she uh, hosts a radio program on a, a radio station here. She listened to a few episodes of the podcast that we have, Social Entrepreneur is the name of the podcast, and um, she went to the station manager and said, I think this would be good for us. I think we would have a good spot for it. He just so happened, and I'm doing air quotes with my fingers here. People can't see that necessarily, but he just so happened to have a Monday morning drive time, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. slot open, and he listened to this. He approached me and then offered me that position, so now... I'm on the radio on Monday mornings. And I, I think of it as such a prime time because people are um so they've gone from thank God it's Friday to oh my lord it's Monday. <laughs> and uh Minnesota traffic is just deadly anyway, and people are just going bumper to bumper, long drives, long commutes, and they're listening to the radio. Well, the you know, the guests that I have, it's not about me. I mean, it's about the guests and the guests, they they do more than make a living; they make a difference. And what a concept! And so many people now are saying that's so important to me in my life. I want to do more. I, I, you know, my my life's meaning has to be more than filling up and emptying my Netflix queue, right? I have to have more to my life than that. So, what does it mean to be a human in this world? And how do we show up? So, so it's really been uh, a powerful message. It's been a powerful program and we're you know we're continuing to grow
0: yeah now everybody i have listened to um tony's podcast and it is really exciting i'm not sure how we'd listen to the radio show but the quote that i've just written down they do more than make a living they make a difference i'm sure as we get older especially we all have a little bit of that in us now tony you mentioned you were a fortune 500 company man you've done all this and you've given all that up to Make a difference yourself. So I know you say it's all about your guests, but you are making a difference as well. Uh, your book, uh, how, oh, excuse me, you've crowd, crowdfunded that. How did that come about? <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know. Um, so when when I was approached about the radio program, I said, you know, I'm going to need some help. And and you know, Melinda, you know what it takes to do this. It's you know, this is not something that is uh, easily done, especially if you're trying to be consistent, if you're trying to put out multiple episodes a week. If you, you know, and you know when you're when you move from podcasting to radio, I mean, you and I have the luxury on a podcast to be able to say, oh, it can be as long as it is. You know, how long is a podcast? Well, how how long is a piece of string but when you're on the radio they say okay segment one is 24 minutes full stop segment two is 24 minutes 20 seconds full stop. And, uh, and so, you know, when you, when you have a guest and the guest is going on and they're saying something really amazing and delightful, but the whole time I'm looking at the little clock going, Oh my God. Right. So I knew I was going to have to have a virtual assistant to help me to book guests. I knew I was going to have to have uh, some help with editing the audio and writing up the show notes and all that. So in order to make the transition from the Radio uh, from the podcast to the radio. I ran a crowdfunding campaign, and it's through Start Some Good, and uh, Tom Dawkins. He's based there out of Australia, and uh, just a brilliant man, somebody I really love. Uh, and uh, and Tom runs this Start Some Good crowdfunding uh, platform. So I was talking to Tom, and I said, Tom, you know, I'm 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 trying to think about what's the best strategy here. Tom was saying, Well, you know, um, your friends are going to come. So there is no there is One thing about crowdfunding, and I think Tom said this, and it's so true. There is no mystical crowd out there waiting to fund your project. You know, nobody wakes up on a Tuesday and said, "Hmm, I think I'll go fund something today." Right? So, uh, so the way that you attract your friends is they're your friends, and they, you know, these are people who love you, and they're going to come. And if you say, you know, please give ten dollars, they're going to do it. But the but the way you really drive a crowdfunding campaign is when they tell their friends about it it's really about the rewards so what are the rewards that are available and um, so I was talking to Tom about this and Tom said you know I said Tom you know I just passed the 150th episode of the podcast and I've been transcribing the advice that I'm getting from these first one hundred and fifty guests. And it turns out that there are 10 key pieces of advice that come up again and again and again. And I started to write a blog post and now it's gotten out of hand. And uh and Tom's like, that'd make a great book. I would love to have that book. And and so uh the book became the first and Primary reward of the, uh, of the crowdfunding campaign. So, it, you know, in a way, did I crowdfund the book? Well, I'd say the, the, the book was the reward that was required in order to really be successful in the crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. By the way, I'm very I'm very aware of the fact that I'm going on too long with my answers. So feel free to wave <laughs> me off here and and cut me off partway through.
0: Yeah. Now everybody everybody knows that I've had the flu because I don't um I don't get sick quietly. I tell the world. So I'm sitting back here going, <laughs> please keep talking. So don't feel too bad about this, Tony. You're looking fit, vibrant, and healthy, and I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, I'm haggard. Uh, now this whole crowdfunding thing. I know there's more than a few of us that are interested. So I might look up your friend Tom Dawkins and see if I can find a few tips. Uh, now you successfully launched your book and you gave away, um, as you said, copies of your book, but writing a book, as we all know, don't we everyone is not an easy task in itself. So you're a driven man. Okay. You've, you've worked out these 10 key components. That's all very well and good. What did you do then? Did you just make up dot points under each heading?
1: Um, you know, uh, so w- one thing that is very key, you know, I had actually written a manuscript. Uh, about a year ago or maybe two years ago, and it was for a completely different book. And, uh, and it was on, um, uh, leadership in times of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity called VUCA. And, uh, and so I had, you know, written this manuscript and uh, I wrote, I wrote, uh, 50,000 amazing words, highly edited, just ready to go, except for two things. One, I just could not come to closure on the bloody book. And, uh, and two, what, what was keeping me from getting to closure was I felt, like I had beautifully described the problem but the answers were so weak and so I just I it just felt like I was never quite closing the door which I only bring that up because I followed some advice and several of your listeners have probably heard this advice and the advice was when you're going to name your book have a big contest get lots of people involved let you know, say it publicly when you're going to pick the cover have a contest say put it out on twitter get everybody excited about it and so i had been just at the front of the parade with a baton in my hand and leading the parade and saying the book is coming the book is coming and then i just crashed and burned and the book had not come out and More than two years later, it still isn't out. And so when I told my wife this idea about we're going to do a book, she's like, no, really? And the other thing she said, you're not allowed to say a word about it until the book is finished. And I mean buttoned up and finished. And so now I have this. There's this opportunity for the radio program. And this crowdfunding thing is coming And I can't talk about the book until it's done. And so all these forces were coming together to say, you will write this book. You will do it right now. And uh, and so from there, you know, I actually started I can't see it from where I'm sitting here, but I have a big mind map up on the wall. And that's really how I started it. I took those 10 points, those quotes, those stories, and I put them together on a mind map. And I'm not much of a linear thinker sometimes. Sometimes I need to just step way back and say, what's this thing? And so I ended up creating this mind map and it had uh, each of the 10 points and then branches that went off. And then what's what is the key story that is going to drive this point? And so for every one of those points, I had a seminal story to begin with And then there were other secondary tertiary stories that, you know, had come from the podcast. So that was really the heart of the book. And so, you know, having written all the show notes for all the interviews and having all that material behind me, uh, it really helped to expedite the writing of the book. And, you know, another thing that we did, I think, was a key decision is, uh, as you noticed, it's a fairly short book. So I mentioned that I had written, you know, a 50,000 word manuscript and it was just, you know, the mother of all manuscripts. And, you know, I know people have written, you know, 250,000 word manuscripts and all that. But uh, but we made a key decision. We said we're going to purposely keep this short. So it's less than 20,000 words. And we're going to break it apart. We're going to put lots of air in this by putting lots of illustrations and quotes and call-outs. And, and so it's a highly graphical book. Uh, and in fact, it's sort of, you know, the concept is based on steel like an artist, which I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with. And so, um, you know, through a set of of. Uh, again, miracles find you while you're in motion, through a set of circumstances, that book kept coming to us saying, you need to be like this book. And so, you know, it's not that book, but but that was the concept, you know, make it light, make it airy, not filled with fluff, but make it accessible to a millennial generation that's not used to reading, you know, a full Facebook post. You know, it's a uh, and and, you know, if if you get more than 10 words in a row, you know, then, you know, they're not used to that. I mean, honestly, I um, you know, as a as a corporate executive, I used to one of our biggest challenges was training millennials to talk on the phone. Uh, or even you know younger millennials, because they just weren't used to that skill set. Uh, and so you know they they bring an amazing, wonderful set of skills. But, um, the you know, plowing through a dense book, for a lot of people, that's not appealing anymore. So we kept the book light. We kept it uh, short on purpose. It was story-driven and uh, highly illustrated, and so it, uh, it made for a fairly quick writing then.
0: Yeah, and the turnaround from Where to Go, give, give, us, a, give us a rough time.
1: Oh, um, well, I know that we were in March, we were in the car and we were driving to uh, see my grandchildren and my wife and I came up with a title for the book and we came up with a basic layout and a concept. Uh, I didn't quite know what the titles of each chapter were, but I knew what the 10 points were. And so we just brainstormed that on that long drive that and that was in March. Uh, and then in May the book was finished and published and ready to go.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I coach a few people with their writing, and they get so bogged down in the fact, like you talk with your first manuscript, I'm writing a book, that it becomes this major, major thing. But really, and there's and on the other end of the scale there's all these people who tell you to churn out a book in 30 days, and I'm going, no. I think the current thing now <laughs> is 90 days. Uh, yeah. But if once you've got your concept and you make up your mind to do it and you just stop mucking around and do it things happen things fall into place uh it's like it's meant to be so this second book for you at twenty thousand words i found it i found it a very very intriguing read i found it an interesting read i love the illustrations um having a wife who's an artist everybody really helps uh and she's a very very good artist as well um but that just do it concept stop and i guess it's and it's not like i'm i say ego but it there is a lot of ego around writing a book and you want it to be the best and you want it to be this big, um, what is it, tools of titans type thing. Um, but that's got a lot of air in it as well. Um, and you can pick that up in snippets and read it. Your book, you can pick it up. Um, it's aimed at social entrepreneurs, but I found even even me, who who is moving in the direction of helping kids and wanting to do, you know, more for kids a, as I grow, you can take as much out of it no matter what you're doing. Mm, Yeah. 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 Um, So was that intentional or were you really, because you do have that corporate background, you were looking at big schemes and, and aiming at that big market?
1: Uh, you know I think um you know so so part of it was intuitive right and you know where do, where does any of this come from? it just you know you you read um one little sliver from ten thousand places and then it comes together in your mind, and you think it 's your idea so you know there's there 's nothing original here i 'm standing on the shoulders of giants, but you know you said something here and it 's like the most common piece of advice and it 's the tenth chapter uh and it 's just start. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, um, that, that is, you know, the, there's a light and a shadow to everything. There's someone there in Australia and I can't think of her name, but she has a workshop called write your book in 48 hours. And, uh, and she, she gets people off and they, and they go and write their book. And I haven't read all the books that were written in that, but I have to say one or two that I did read that were written in that 48 hour period they sound like they're written in 48 hours, you know. So sometimes these things do take a little bit longer than 48 hours to incubate and get out. At the same time, you're exactly right. The shadow side of of uh, saying, OK, I can't be too light. I can't be too flip about this. I can't do that in 48 hours. But the shadow side then comes when you say it must be a serious work, a tome. and uh, And you really start trying to, you know, say more than really needs to be said. Uh, In the end, you know, I I had a human that I knew that I was writing for. And I think that is so important. You know, I know that you already talk about that, that importance of knowing that person, like knowing their shoe size. And, uh, and I really, I wrote to that person. And then, of course, you know, when writing, and I know you give this advice all the time, it's that you attitude. It's that not, you know, I am going to tell you something, but, you know, I suspect you are curious about this and you have probably tried this. And let me just tell you, you know, I, I, I I know how that feels because I have felt the same way. And I'll tell you what I have found. Here's what I found that worked for me. So that kind of feel felt found thing. Um, but that, that you attitude in writing to someone and what do they need? And so we really, you know, one of the reasons the book is short, one of the reasons the book is highly illustrated is because that person I'm writing to is not going to sit down with a dense book and plow through it. So so it's really about what is, what does the reader need and who is that person? What's their preference?
0: Yeah. And remember, our focus is social entrepreneurship. Um, Tony's gone out and got his crowdfunding. He's got his book out there and launched. He's got his radio program. He's got a podcast that um, may be a little bigger than mine or a little bit more successful than mine. Um, no, he's shaking his head. I'm shaking my head. No, I like, I like this guy. Uh, (laughs) uh, but I did notice when I was reading a little bit that you don't always get it right the first time, but, and one of your chapters is persist, but adapt or pivot. And I noticed you talk about pivoting in, in the
1: text. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, so I think that is probably the number one, um, question that I get is how do I know when to persist? And when do I know it's time to adjust? And um, one of the uh, one of the guests I had, her name is I, I think it's Jeru Billamore. I'd have to look in the text right now because I get people mixed up. Uh, but she said she said, so think, of, you know, a river doesn't have to be coached on how to get to the sea. You know, a river is going to make it to the sea, but the reason it's going to make it to the sea is because it's going to go around the rocks and through the valley and around the tree, and it's going to flow around these things. But it definitely is going to get to the sea. So a friend of mine says, "Hold on to the um, hold on to the vision, but let the form be flexible," and I think you know, for entrepreneurs and I'm sure for writers too, it's the same thing that, um, you know, just keep that big end goal in mind. I, you know, I just spoke a little while ago before you and I connected here, uh, with Ned Tozen and Ned is with a company called D-Light. Well, D-Light makes, um, you know, um, solar lights and now house size, uh, solar power systems for off-grid communities in Africa and India and other places where the grid hasn't reached people. And, uh, and the number of times that their business model has changed, the number of times that they have just completely changed their distribution model. It's all incredible. It's mind blowing. The kinds of, you know, what they thought they were going to do when they're in grad school versus what their business is today. is completely different. However, the end goal of getting electricity available for people who are off the grid is still alive, and they are so successful simply because they maintained that vision, but then they just adjusted their pro- approach as they went along. And one more thing on that, I, I talked to somebody not too long ago. He said, I used to follow the 80-20 rule where I said, "Would you know, let's put something out that's about 80% baked and let the market sort of give us that last 20% to adjust things. He goes, now I do the 20-80 rule. I put it out 20% baked and I put it out there and I start getting feedback because what I think the market needs, the market is going to tell me I'm wrong every time. So just get that thing ready, get it as close to reasonable as possible, and then put it out and make it available for people. So that persists, but knowing when to pivot, that's such a critical skill for entrepreneurs. and I'm sure it's the same for writers.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I've noticed, Tony, even since I've started in the last year, is that just starting, taking one step Leads to step two, leads to step three, and what I thought I was doing is not actually what I end up doing, and it's not what my customers want anyway. Um, so they they dictate as we go along, but I always sell it first and then make it, um, because yeah. if I hung around to make it, I'd never do it. And I'm <laughs> I'm guessing that's with you guys on such a larger scale is that people are out there doing it it reminds me of my permaculture days um, and there's some guys out there doing some wonderful things um, I was reading something yesterday about greening deserts and there's a whole village and they've got all these greeneries and they're picking and they're growing and they're they've gone beyond subsistence to market level and it's just because permaculture guys have gone out into the communities and shown them taught taught the local fishermen how to fish rather than give them a fish and I look at the difference and the change now these guys I'm assuming, are doing. Doing it for free. Uh, um, and, and your social entrepreneurs are out there doing the same thing. It must be so much more rewarding than sitting in a job that you hate. And I'm guessing that's why people sitting in the traffic in Minnesota are listening to your podcast because it in, it's inspirational. I read your book last night and I came up with all these ideas of the direction I could take my, my writing business and taking it out to the kids who don't have those opportunities. And I'm going, right, Tony, what do I do now?
1: You know, um, so, um, the answer always is it depends, right? (laughs) That's always the answer. No matter what the question is, is it depends. Uh, you know, and, and so I think understanding your ambition, uh, has to come up somewhere at the beginning. And so are you really looking to, uh, create a nonprofit, uh, and if so, your funding model is going to be so different than. Are you trying to create something that has a sustainable funding model through revenue? And if so, then what does that revenue uh, model look like? So, it, you know, the the questions are always it depends, but it becomes, it's because now here I am stuttering, uh, (laughs) you put me on the spot. So, uh, so, you know, the, the answer is always, it it depends. And it's primarily because, um, it depends on what your ambition is. So, uh, how much money do you want to make? Or do you want to, you know, live on, you know, a smaller amount of money? Uh, and by the way, the whole idea that we're going to create a unicorn and make a billion dollars, that's really—it's such a fantasy, <laughs> and so few people do it, you know, but— uh, But I think, you know, what role do I want to play? Do I actually want to do this or do I want to help somebody else who's doing it? Do I want to start something new or do I want to join somebody who's already in motion? Do I want to be the CEO of this company or do I want somebody else to run a company? And then I want to just do this part where I get to sit in the room with the kids, you know. So it it depends on what your your idea is. And then there are business model canvases and there are other ways to create a business model that will uh, reflect the reality of what your ambition is.
0: Yeah, and, and it's interesting because that brings us back to finding your purpose to see you through because these things are big, they're hard work, uh, and they take time, lots and lots of time, and as you said, you're never going to get rich through it. So your why can never be about money. Your why can never be about you. It has to be about the other person. And even listening to you say those t- things, Tony, I think I'm just going to crawl under the table now. Um, <laughs> but we can, all, we can all make a difference in a little way, and I think that's what your book gives us. Yeah and it was so exciting to read it is because we can all make a difference and we can all do something. Are you finding that's the kind of feedback that you're giving, that you've actually inspired more people than you intended?
1: Well, you know, the the number one piece of feedback we get is I love the art and I love the design, which as a writer I go – okay, did you see any words in there?
0: (laughs) That's what still like an artist does to all of us. We look at it every day and we go, oh, how beautiful is this? But of course we go, yeah, actually we've got to say something as well. Here's, I blame, um, what's his name? (laughs) Keo. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it's true. It's true. I think that uh, you know that is the thing that kind of differentiates a book. It makes it a little more striking. It makes it, you know, uh, I say if you want people to remark on your work, uh, if you want to be remarkable, then you give them something to remark about, right? So the the art and the and the quotes and all that it's it is a big part of why the book I think is being successful and why people are talking about it. Uh, but I also think that you bring up a really good point, which is some people want want to reduce global hunger but some people want to start an urban garden at the end of their block and both are equally important i have to tell you with the big massive global problems that we have we just need all of us working on this. We need every hand. So whether you're part of a corporate social responsibility, you know, initiative and, you know, and you're, you know, you're part of a corporate volunteer group or a corporate giving group and all that, you know, or you are in a Girl Scout troop and you're, you know, you're, you're helping some brownies to, uh, to, uh, well, you probably have a different name for them there. Scouts, we But don't uh,
0: brownies anymore. It's, um, sexist. Everyone's a oh, scout. No.
1: Everyone's a scout. okay? And so and so the uh, so if you want to help the scouts to uh, to to earn their merit badges, I mean, we need all of us pushing in this positive direction. You know, the the other thing that I'd say is one one of the driving philosophies behind my podcast, one of the driving philosophies behind the book is I want to acknowledge that there are big, hairy, audacious problems out there, but I really want to take a solutions approach. So let's not spend all of our time getting caught up in how bad things are, whether it's global warming or you know climate change, or well, that's the same thing as it. Whether it's uh, climate change or it's uh, you know world hunger, let's let's get caught up in what are the solutions and how are people creating a sustainable um, good in the world.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that's really exciting and, and that brings us back to what you said earlier. Um, people want to do more than make a living. They want to make a difference and and we'll finish up shortly with, with this idea. Uh, we we've lost our purpose in some ways because of that merry-go-round because of that treadmill because of that earning a living because of the the corporate greed that you spoke about at the very beginning that you were fighting against your you know where you asked those two big questions uh, so we we have come full circle on that one we can all make a difference uh and us with our writing we can go out and we can write our books I'm um, probably not as beautifully as you because those illustrations i'm sorry are very very good and, and it has been designed they um but everybody there are some good words in there too uh, so so please <laughs> one or, one or um, two good words <laughs> yeah and one of the things we're not quite sure how to get it in paperback out here in australia but as soon as it is it'll be on, on my shelf we'll have to work that one out um sorry. what i'd like to do and what how i'd like to finish up tony um there's this picture of this beautiful beautiful woman on your facebook page and it's called women who are changing the world and it's firsts and i think it's time magazine um do you do you remember that it's um it's selena gomez is one of them and it's talking about um representative ihan omar and it's honoring the feature of time's firsts women of 46 women who broke the glass ceiling
1: she she is uh she's a uh state legislature here le- legislator here uh and uh she is a Somali immigrant and a Muslim woman And um, her story is just really so inspiring. I mean, she came in here, uh, you know, there's a there's a fairly significant Somali um, resettlement here in uh, in Minnesota. And so, you know, there's a there's a fairly tight knit community. And um, she when she tried to run, there was an older gentleman that was running and everyone kept saying to her, sit down sit down, sit down, it's not your time. And she said, you know, I I don't think that's your job to tell me. And, uh, and she really has stepped forward. And what's so interesting is, um, you know, and, and the entire world is aware of our bizarre uh, American political system and some of the recent results of all that. She is such a counter narrative to all of that. And, um, you know, she she said the other day, she said, I am Donald Trump's worst worst nightmare. You know, I am, I am a Muslim, I am a woman of color. uh, And I just, you know, I'm stepping forward into my power and I'm sorry that that threatens people. And so I just love her. I am really proud to say that she's from here in Minnesota and uh, she's really making a difference in the world.
0: Yeah. Okay, now if you want to know any more stories everyone and there are a lot of them from Tony. He's over 150, probably 160 episodes by now and going strong obviously. Uh there will be more books. Um hopefully he'll divide that 50,000 word tomb into a couple of smaller books so the rest of us can understand the title. Uh Tony, where can we find you? Where how can we listen to you?
1: Yeah, so it's uh the the challenge with finding me is always spelling my last name uh the way that my family spells it. So it's T O N Y L O-Y-D. So there's one L Lloyd. And so if you go to TonyLloyd.com, you'll find me there. I'm on Twitter at TonyLloyd.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. On Instagram, I'm Anthony Lloyd. And there's a long, bizarre story that I won't tell you right now why that is. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much available anywhere. And just Google my name and I'll come up somewhere.
0: Yeah, and don't forget to go and have a listen to the Social Entrepreneur Podcast, everybody, because if you're not inspired by now, you will be. Uh, crazy Good Advice. Uh, please download it please have a look at some of the um, photographs and illustrations in there that say Tony's wife gets some of the credit um, and she was yeah. the inspiration behind it because they um, brainstormed it together driving down the highway uh, Tony thank you for spending some time with us today um, I I am Inspired, I will get off my backside, I will do um, more good in the world because it's people like you that help the rest of us um, make change. So, thank you, and it's bye from Rider on the Road, and bye from
1: Tony.